Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. So at the end of World War II, an American submarine came back to dock at Newport News, Virginia. But just as it was entering the port, something went terribly wrong with the mechanism and the sub began to sink right there in the harbor. Well, immediately they dispatched the Coast Guard because there were a number of crew members in that submarine who needed to be rescued. And as the divers swam down to the hull of the sub to figure out what went wrong, they heard this hollow clanging sound coming from inside the sub. Apparently, an inventive sailor had grabbed a hammer and was banging out a message inside the submarine. And the message was this. It was in Morse code. Is there hope? Is there hope? You know, that's one of the fundamental questions of life. Is there hope? Is life worth living? Is there hope for the future? You know, it's asked every day by thousands of people in thousands of different ways. You'll hear it in doctor's offices where people are awaiting test results. Is there hope, doc? Or standing by the bedside of a loved one who's in the hospital. You know, is there hope? And when a couple has spent months and months in marriage counseling and they're seeing little progress, in the back of their minds, they're thinking, is there hope for this marriage? Or when a couple hears that their child is missing, they ask the police, is there hope? You can go 40 days without food. You can go three days without water. You can actually go eight minutes without air. But you really can't go a single second without hope. I mean, hope is one of the essentials of life. When hope is gone, life is over. You need hope to cope. Dr. Harold Wolf, a professor in the medical school at Cornell University, did a study on the effects of hope on the human body. And I want you to listen to this. This is kind of a summary of what he studied and what he came up with. Dr. Wolf studied 25,000 prisoners of war over an extended period of time. And he discovered that out of those 25,000 POWs, there was one group of men on whom the experience of being a POW had no effect at all. In spite of brutality, torture, solitary confinement, and all kinds of inhumane abuse, there was one group it just didn't face. There was no post-traumatic stress syndrome. They didn't get ill or have flashbacks. They just handled it and went on with their life. And when he studied that group, the one common denominator was extraordinary high levels of hope. Hope made all the difference in the world. It appears hope is essential for handling the crises of life. In the summary of his report, he wrote, quote, When a man has hope, he's capable of bearing incredible burdens and cruel punishment. But when hope is gone, people fall apart emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Well, this morning, we're going to address what is perhaps the single most pressing question in life. Where do you go to find hope in life? 
You know, we're in this series about the meaning of Christmas based on who God is. And so far we've discovered that God is light and God is a reconciler. Well, today we're going to see that God is hope. God is hope. In fact, I would argue he's the only true source of hope in life. Now, because hope is in such short supply in our world today, people look for hope in all sorts of places. And many end up leaning on false hopes. You know, they trust in things like psychic hotlines, astrology, palm readers, fake healers, crystals. I mean, all kinds of crazy things. And of course, those who trust in those things end up disillusioned when their source of hope lets them down. Well, fortunately for us, there's a source of hope that we can depend on. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13 says this. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, as you put your faith in God, he gives you unshakable hope. Now, the biblical word for hope, it's a bit different than our English word. In Greek, the word hope, it speaks of a future certainty. You know, not a kind of wishful thinking that it might happen. I mean, biblical hope is absolute confidence in something in the future. And specifically, God says, if you want to put your hope in me, you need to put it in my name. Okay, Psalm 52, 9 says this, In your name I will hope, for your name is good. Now, what does that mean? I mean, how do you put hope in a name? Well, you need to understand that names, they meant a lot more in the past than they do today. You know, today, we choose names for the way they sound or because they remind us of particular people. But in ancient cultures, they chose names because of what that word meant. I mean, your name was usually the definition of your character. It matched who you were as a person. And in the Bible, God calls himself by many different names that are actually descriptions of his character, as well as promises to you and me. For instance, the Hebrew name for God, Jehovah Shalom, means I am the God who gives peace. And the Hebrew name, Jehovah Jireh, that means I am the God who provides for all your needs. Well, in the book of Ezekiel, God gives us another one of his names. He says, I am Jehovah Shammah. And in Hebrew, that means I'm the God who is always there. God says, there's no place you can go where I'm not with you. Well, this morning, we're going to look at three anchors of hope, three sources of hope that we can count on based on who God is. And the first one is this, because God is Jehovah Shammah, a God who is always there, God's presence is watching over me. You know, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God's presence is watching over you. You know, the older I get, the more I realize how much of my life is out of my control. Like, I don't know the future and I can't control much of what happens in the future. But God says in Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, the good news is, regardless of what happens to us in the future, you and I, we don't have to go through it alone. 
There's a God who will be there with us. I mean, that's one of the certainties of life that we can hold on to. That gives us hope. Because there are a lot of uncertainties in this life. You know, one of the sad uncertainties is that people will leave you. You know, friends and family might move away. I mean, there'll be people you love who will die. There'll be people you love who will become ill and then they won't be themselves anymore. You know, there may even be those with whom you have friction and then there's a relationship that separates and and that's painful. The sad truth of life is this. People will leave you. People will leave you. But God will never leave you. But that should bring you hope because the fear of being abandoned is one of the greatest causes of hopelessness in life. You know, this feeling of I'm going to be deserted. I'm going to be forsaken. Like I'm going to be overwhelmed and and no one's going to be there to help me. It's often expressed in these two words. What if? Like what if my spouse leaves me and I end up all alone? What if my kids aren't there for me at the end of my life? What if these friends aren't there? What if? What if? What if? Well, the answer is this. God will be with you. You know, as a pastor, I've heard the cries of hopelessness from spouses who've been deserted or, or men who've lost their jobs or, or parents who've lost a child. It's this feeling of, how am I ever going to go on? Now, some of you may be feeling that way today. Well, the answer is God will be with you. God will be with you. And not only is he with you, the Bible also says he's watching over you. Psalm 32.8 says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Now, you and I, we don't know the future and we can't control the future. But God does know the future and he can control the future. And think about this, that same almighty God is willing to counsel us and show us the way we should go. Now, there's great hope in that because we don't have to have everything figured out in life. We just have to trust that we have a God who does. So God's presence is watching over me. That's the first anchor of hope. Now, the second source of hope is this. God's purpose is working in me. If you're a Christian, God's purpose is working in you. You know, no matter what's happening in my life, good, bad, or ugly, God's purpose is working in me. Like how many times have you asked the question, why is this happening to me? You know, when a problem pops up, a trial that doesn't seem to have any rhyme or reason to it, aren't those the most difficult situations to handle in life? But on the other hand, when you can see a purpose behind your problem, I mean, that gives you enormous hope. It gives you strength to press on because at least it makes sense, right? Well, God says, I'm working in your life and I have a purpose no matter what is happening. You realize that God is doing good things in your life even when the situation is bad, even when it doesn't make sense. This morning, I want us to look at Romans 8, 28, word for word, because it's such a powerful verse, okay? This is what it says. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, first of all, I want you to notice what this verse doesn't say. It doesn't say, all things work out the way I want them to. 
I mean, we'd like it to say that. That's not what it says. It also doesn't say all things have a happy ending here on earth. Oh, we know that's not true. I mean, reality teaches us that not every person who gets sick gets well. Not every couple who get married live happily ever after. Not every business decision makes a million bucks. Not every problem is resolved. So what does this verse say? Well, first of all, it says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. We know. Now, what that means is we don't wish, we don't imagine, we don't desire, we don't have false hope or positive thinking. It says we know. It's a certainty. And what do we know for sure? We know that God causes. God causes. Okay, that means there is a grand master designer of the universe. And he has a plan that's in action right now. History is his story. Well, there's no such thing then as fate. There's no such thing as chance. There's no such thing as luck, good luck, or bad luck. And we're not led by karma or a fatalistic what will be will be destiny in life. No, there's a master designer. And even though we make mistakes, God never makes mistakes. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. Now, all things, what does that include? Does that include illness? Yep. Does that include COVID-19? Yes, it does. Does it include unemployment, divorce, failures, freak accidents, miscarriages? Absolutely. I mean, does it even include the stupid decisions I make, you know, the pain I bring upon myself? Yes, it does. Everything fits into God's plan, people. The good, the bad, and the indifferent. You know, the things I do and the things I don't do. The things I can't control and the things I can't control. All things work together for good. Now, I need to clarify here. Let's talk about what this verse doesn't say. It doesn't say all things are good, okay? It also doesn't say God causes all things because God doesn't cause all things. Like God doesn't cause rape. God doesn't cause war. God doesn't cause famine or poverty or cancer. I mean, to attribute those things to God is to turn God into a monster, but the Bible is crystal clear about the fact that God is incapable of sin. This verse says, God causes all things to work together for good. God causes all things to work together for good. Okay, the key phrase is work together. It's not by accident and it's not separate. All things work together. It's kind of like baking a cake. All right, when you bake a cake, you have to have, what, some flour, raw eggs, sugar, salt, vanilla, stuff like that, right? Now, any one of those things by itself doesn't really taste too good. You ever tasted flour? Yeah, I have by accident when I was a kid. Ugh, not good. Or what about raw eggs? Okay, I used to gulp those down in my rocky wannabe days, but they're not exactly the best, are they? And I get it, some of you may actually like raw sugar, but none of those other things taste very good on their own, do they? Well, in the same way, there will be quite a few things in your life that are tough to swallow. They're bitter going down. 
Like not all the things in your life are good in and of themselves, but they all can work together for good. When all the elements of your life are put together, just like the ingredients in a cake, it'll end up being good. God's taking all the elements of your life, even the ones that are bitter and distasteful, and baking a cake that's going to be very good in the end. Now, God is weaving a tapestry of your life, and he's using some dark threads and some light threads. He's using some heavy yarn, and he's using some lighter yarn. And when he looks down on that tapestry, he can see the pattern that's emerging, the picture he wants to make of your life. You know, as he looks down from heaven, he has a different view than the one we see looking up. Like, have you ever looked at the underside of a tapestry? It's just a jumble of yarn that makes no sense at all. But when we look up from the underside of God's tapestry, oftentimes it doesn't make sense to us, does it? And we ask, why did that happen? Well, one day you'll know and you'll see how he was weaving the light and the dark, the good and the bad, the happy and the sad, every experience of your life. He's weaving it into a pattern. You say, can God bring good out of bad? Well, did he bring any good out of the crucifixion of Jesus? Yeah, I'd say so. The crucifixion was not good. It was brutal. It was painful. But God brought good out of it. See, when you understand that God's not only watching over you, but that he also has a purpose in your life, that's an enormous source of hope. But did you notice the qualifier of this great promise in Romans 8.28? See, it's not for everybody. It says, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Folks, all things do not work together for good for everyone. This is a promise reserved for Christians, those who have been called into a personal relationship with Jesus. Only those who have believed in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life can know that all things are working together for good. Okay? So, two key sources of hope are knowing that God's presence is watching over me and knowing that God's purpose is working in me. But that's not all, okay? There's a third source of hope, and it's this. For Christians, God's place is waiting for me. God's place is waiting for me. You know, for believers, when things get unbearable in this life, just remember that your ultimate hope, your ultimate destination is heaven. I mean, this is like the warm-up act. God is preparing this awesome place for you in heaven. In John 14, verses 1 and 2, Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. Wow. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. And notice that Jesus said heaven is a place. You know, it's not a state of mind. It's not some kind of nirvana or nothingness where you just float around bodiless or spiritless. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is a place of relief. Relief from the burdens of life. Relief from the sorrows of life. Relief from the problems that we face in this life. 
Revelation 21.4 describes heaven as a place where he, Jesus, will wipe every tear from their eyes. That there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Boy, that should bring you great hope. You know, they say the acid test of your faith is how you handle funerals in life. Like anyone can have faith when things are going great. But how do you handle funerals? You know, I've been to funerals where I've seen despair in the eyes of people who didn't have hope. But I've also been to Christian funerals that were just downright celebrations. See, when a believer dies, we rejoice for that person because we know where they've gone. Yeah, we grieve, but, but we're not grieving for the deceased. We're grieving for ourselves because we'll miss them. And the Bible says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's appropriate to grieve our loss. But Christians, we don't grieve as those who have no hope because we know where we're going when we die. So we should rejoice for the deceased believer because they're in a better place. They're in a place where there are no more problems. In fact, the Bible says that after we die, we're going to be transformed. We're going to receive a new body that won't be subject to sickness, disease, or death. A body that'll have boundless energy. I mean, how does that sound? Sign me up. I mean, that ought to bring you great hope and encouragement. That's kind of like the story about the country farmer and his boy who ventured into the big city for the first time. They were amazed by nearly everything they saw, but especially by these two shiny silver walls that could move apart and then back together again. And so the boy, he asked his father, you know, what is this, dad? And the father, having never seen an elevator before, said, son, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I don't know what it is. Well, as the boy and his father were staring wide-eyed at these silver walls, an old lady limping slightly with a cane walked slowly up to the moving walls and pressed a button. Well, they saw the walls open up. Then they saw the lady walk between them and into a small room. And a few seconds later, the walls closed again. Well, the boy and his father watched the little circles of light with numbers above the wall light up. And as they continued to watch the circles light up in the reverse direction, all of a sudden, the walls opened up again. And this drop-dead gorgeous 24-year-old woman stepped out. And the father turned to his son and said, boy, go get your mama. You know, folks, that's nothing, okay, compared to the miracle that will happen when we as Christians are transformed. I mean, that's what it's going to be like to get our new glorified bodies. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Well, there's another great reason to have hope. So there you have it. Three sources of hope in this world that every Christian can count on. God's presence is watching over me. God's purpose is working in me. And God's place is waiting for me. You know, maybe this morning you feel trapped in a hopeless marriage. Like it's on the rocks and you've tried everything. 
Or maybe you're wrestling with a hopeless health problem. You've been to all the doctors, you've tried all the cures, but nothing has helped. Or maybe you're dealing with a hopeless financial situation and you're not getting out of debt, you're actually getting deeper and deeper into debt each and every month. So, so what do you do? You have to give it over to God. You've got to trust him. And when you do, you should experience a new living hope in your heart. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God promises us a new and living hope. So if you're a believer, you're called to trust in the promises of his word. And remember that no situation is hopeless. No situation is hopeless because God is a God of hope. Now, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, that's your first step because he can take you from no hope to new hope instantly. And that happens when you admit that you're a sinner, believe there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation and trust that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. If you've never put your faith in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life, I'm gonna give you a chance to do that in just a second when we pray together. But let me close with this. There are a lot of things in life that are uncertain. But if you're a believer in Jesus, you can count on three things. No matter what happens, God's presence will always be watching over you. God's purpose will always be working in you. And God's place will always be waiting for you. And when you live with that kind of secure hope, how will it transform your life? Well, Isaiah 40, 31 says it best. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Pray with me. Father, I'm sure there are people listening to me right now who are feeling hopeless, maybe beat up, discouraged, depressed by the circumstances of life. And we just acknowledge this past year, has been rough, Lord. But I pray that they would trust in you. Trust in the fact that you love them. Trust in the fact that you're in control and that you want them to turn their burdens over to you. If you're listening to me right now and you're not sure where you are in your relationship with Jesus, you're not sure if you were to die today that you would go to heaven, you can be sure by just putting your faith in Jesus, nothing else. Just in the quietness of your heart, say, Jesus, I am trusting in you. I'm not trusting in myself. I'm trusting in you and the fact that you died for my sins and you rose again and that you've promised forgiveness and eternal life to all those who will simply ask you for it in faith. And so right now, Lord, I'm believing in you. Lord, would you help all of us to be more aware of the fact that you're always with us, you're always watching over us, that you're working in our lives even when we don't see it. And that in the middle of all of our pain and problems, you're there and you have a purpose. We thank you that when we arrive in our new home in heaven with our glorified bodies, 
we will finally see the other side of the tapestry. But until then, Lord, help us to put our hope in you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.